quintessential podcast rolls through the month of June. It's week four in the PLL. They'll be headed to uh, Baltimore Friday night, 6.30 on ESPN2. We welcome in this week's guest, Anish Shroff of ESPN, who was uh, at home for the Charlotte, what was that, week two, the uh, terrific action down in Charlotte. I love that stadium with the view of downtown. What, what, what was the experience like? Fascinating. Just pro lacrosse in general, this was really my first foray into it. And to see the level of athlete, the speed, the stick skills, the energy, totally different than what we're used to seeing, quite frankly, uh, from the college level. Uh, these are all 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 Americans. So, you know, every one of these teams is an all star team. And, uh, you know, in Charlotte, it's funny, this is a growing market for lacrosse. I think it's got a lot of potential. The Hounds were here for a long time. Uh, unfortunately, nobody really knew they were here, which is part of the problem. But, you know, I drive around Charlotte now and you know, I'll see people taking their lacrosse stick to a dog park. I'll see people on my street playing wall ball. Uh, we used to have a girl who lived next door, went to play Division One college lacrosse at East Carolina. So you, you start to see a lot of that. You start to see it, it growing. I'm still not fully sure from my brother who was at the game you know, his market research was telling me people still weren't sure what what this was and what the PLL was. So there is some teaching that needs to be done, I think, by us, by the league going forward. But um, it was a promising turnout. This is a growing market for, for lacrosse. Yeah, week one got uh, terrific crowds up in Albany. The, the environment up there, the weather was just amazing. Week two, I was off. So I watched from afar watching TV. But, you know, week one to me, Anisha was eye opening just being down on the field and seeing the level of athletes, as you say, like a guy like Michael Earhart uh, of the Whip Snakes, formerly of Maryland. He like controls the middle of the field. I have not seen a, a player of that ability since, you know, Dave Petromala, let's say. Uh, week two was good because I was able to step back and really kind of focus more on the TV side of it, like what it looks like in person compared to what it looks like on the air. And then last week, I got the, the, the deep dive doing four games from Hofstra. And, these games are, they're more frantic. Uh, the action is intense. And I was pretty worn out uh, after doing the four games, the two Friday night and then, then the two uh, Saturday afternoon. There's no lull in the game. You know, sometimes in the college game, you think about it, you gain possession, you got 20 seconds to get it across. If you do it, you still got, you know, 60 some odd seconds to set up your offense. There's a little catch your breath moment. You don't have that in pro lacrosse. Now, that lull is not there. Shot clock's at 52. So if you're over the midline, you know, by 35 even, you get your subs in, boom, it's time to go. Yeah, so Sunday, I just want to bring in this, this stick I got on Sunday on Father's Day. This, uh, I drove up to, uh, to Woodstock, New York, where we had a ceremonial bike ride uh, barbecue um, for, my, for my, my brother who passed away in May. But a family friend who worked with my dad 25 years at Oceanside High School, delivered this stick, Anish, uh, circa 1970s, wooden stick. It's Holy got Oceanside. Is that a goalie? No, it's a normal stick. It's, it's, normal it says stick. Oceanside High School. It's my dad's handwriting. He was the first head coach there. Wow. So for him to find this and give this to me on Father's Day That's was special. just about the coolest thing uh, to add to my collection. This is uh, stick number one now. And, and it, 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 would just, it was just such a cool for me on father's day for him to dig this up he said his dad had this in his office forever wow. uh and then he passes it on so it's kind of like linking the old with the new so to speak yeah that's special 
I'm glad you were able to do that with your family. And, and, and yeah, no, it, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a great day, but it was also a challenging day, you know, because if we, we had the celebration kind of, there was about 25 bike riders who went on a two hour bike ride. We went on a hike, uh, big barbecue. And, uh, you know, so the family was there. It's just, uh, it, it, it's tough. I feel, you know, you, you lost a parent. I lost my, my dad when I was in high school and it, was, it just feels very different because at that age, it was about self-survival. You know, it was about staying on course. I was a senior in high school. I hadn't picked college yet. And so it was a lot easier in that it was just me worried about my trajectory, my path. Now at my age with our family dynamics, you got to take care of the old, you got to take care of the young. So it's, it's, it's a little more difficult. It's more difficult. Also, I think perspective changes to your point. I was a senior in high school when I lost my mom as well. And it is about you and you, you say, why me? And why did this happen to me? And, and everything is around the pivot point of, of ego and self. And as you get older, you know, there's still days where it hits you, but it hits me differently. And I don't know if you feel this way with your dad, where, you know, I want her to be here now, not for me, but for her. Hey, look at the lives your children have created. Look at your grandkids. To have that opportunity, that's where I feel it now more than anything. It's not really about me. Like I've gone out. I've taken the lessons you've taught me. I've made my way in this world. I wish you were here to see it and to enjoy it because you put a lot of your equity and your sweat into this too. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I definitely feel that, you know, and I feel that on Memorial Day when we do those games, the championship games together. I know it's a difficult day for you, but for me, you know, that, that's a day you wish. Yeah. So, it's, you know, I, I don't think people quite understand sometimes how the, the past comes back and uh, it, it's proud, you're happy, but, but it's also uh, a, a sad moment. Yeah. You got me emotional. Okay. So we got, we got, uh, I got, I got to write a piece this week for Lax All Stars about why people should be watching the PLL. Uh, I got, I got, I've already created a list about eight or nine things, but uh, it, from your perspective, what uh, there's different types of fans. So that's there's the avid fan. There's a casual fan. There's a new fan. Uh, what, 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 what are some bullet points that I should make sure I don't forget? You know, the one thing three weeks into this and for us being up close that, that cuts through for me is this league has legitimate promise for the sport because it presents a version of the sport that America needs to see if lacrosse is going to grow. And that means from an athletic standpoint, yes, bigger, faster, stronger, the stick skills, the creativity, all that stuff that we love about the game, that, that is embedded in it. But I go back to a message that I shared with you and Kark and our team after our first week in Albany. Most of my friends who are sports fans are not lacrosse fans. So I've always kind of taken this outsider view. Hey, I've always been an outsider. I was somebody who jumped into lacrosse when I got to college, didn't have any background in it before that. So, you know, what kind of cuts through for me? And, and I go back to how we came on the air for that first ESPN game. And, and if you watch that open, we highlighted Miles Jones. We highlighted Chris Gray and Jeff Teat. You, you had an on-field interview with Nikai Montgomery. Then there was Trevor Baptiste and TD Erland. 
and friends of mine who were watching just because it was on ESPN. Hey, watch the cross on ESPN. Hey, that's cool. You got Miles Jones and Trevor and Nakai. And then you see Jules score four or five goals in that game. This is not a knock against the college game, which is still the most popular version of the game. But I mean, how many college games have we done, Quint, where there's three black guys on the field at the same time on one team? Uh, more, I mean, Jules Hennenberg, Miles Jones, Nakai Montgomery, Isaiah Davis Allen. Right. They, you had Trevor Baptiste and Kobe Smith. I mean, I, I was lucky enough to be down on the field afterwards when those guys just assembled and took a picture and it hit me. Like, wow, this is, this is, ama- this is amazing diversity. The opportunity, uh, these guys, they're not only outstanding, really great guys, really highly successful off the field, uh, but what they represent in terms of the growth of this game is, is enormous. Uh, I, I find it odd, Anish, that this, the pro game has more diversity than the college game. And it makes me ask some questions. Like, are we missing, are there young high school student athletes that, that are uh, being missed in the recruiting process? Do, do coaches have to work harder? Uh, you know, are, are all the doors open that we think are open? Uh, I, I, I don't know, but, uh, but I, love, I loved that game and, and I love the opportunity that this presents. Are they being missed? Are they being typecast? I think those are fair questions, but you know, what I enjoyed about just bringing those stories to life from our standpoint, you know, there, there was no tokenism that went into it. We highlighted those guys because they were important and they were stars and they had unique stories that connected with people. Trevor Baptiste is the best face-off guy there is. When Miles steps on the field, you can't take your eyes off him. He's 6'5", 230. He plays, you know, with this downhill force. I mean, this guy's an Amtrak train. You know, he's Tatanka out there on the field. It's, it's, it's crazy. And so um, it wasn't like we were trying to go out of their way and say, hey, look, look, we're, we're pushing this in your face. I think the part that I enjoyed was it was there. It was there for everybody to see. You didn't have to be obvious about it. Um, but that's what gives pro lacrosse. That's what gives the Premier Lacrosse League, I think, a lot of promise because it cuts a cross section of America that, uh, the college game has struggled to do for a long time. You know, you look at this past weekend, you had Lyle Thompson, you know, that Native American. I thought you did a great job telling his story in the open for the average fan I'm watching. And you talk about the creator's game and the roots of the game. And, you know, that story, again, is not told to the average sports fan when talking about lacrosse. What are the origins of this sport? It was, it was a Native American. It was the Native Americans game. It was meant to be shared with everybody. It wasn't meant to be. Uh, very exclusive and, and, and meant to be played only by certain people who had the means and access to do it or meant to be played by certain demographics. So w- when you pull all that together, Q, to me, th- there's a lot of promise and a lot of potential with the Premier Lacrosse League because I think it has a chance to resonate with the average sports fan. Um, in a way, the college lacrosse game still hasn't quite figured out. Yeah, you know what I've enjoyed uh just what's been really off the, off the charts cool is the interactions, the access that we have to these athletes and the coaches and everyone's so impressive. I mean, there's like no bad apples on any of these rosters. I, I think if young players are listening to this podcast, like you get weeded out if you're not a good teammate and, and all these guys, I think, get it that way. And so it's been really refreshing. Like last week I got to go to practice and speak to the whip snakes and, you know, just do some digging in the backgrounds. A couple of the guys were from Long Island and, and uh, we're, we're, we're returning home and how cool that was. But just uh, 
the wonderful stories that can be told about each, you know, each, each player's path is, is, uh, is genuine and, and unique and they've carved it themselves. It's, uh, it's just fascinating. And I think, again, just the quality of the people that, that we're dealing with in this league are, are spectacular. I don't think we can quantify or qualify the access component. It's just, it's so unique. And I think it'll help us as a company as well across other sports. We'll take ideas from this. How can we integrate it, especially with NIL coming to some college sports? And does that work in basketball? Does that work in college lacrosse, college football? So um, from that standpoint, from the access standpoint, this feels, Quint, like a little bit of a cauldron, right? Like a melting pot of, of ideas. Yeah. Yeah, this week we got you know, Redwoods and Whipsnakes, Saturday night in ESPN2 at 6.30 in Nation. This is the Notre Dame-Maryland game that we never got, <laughs> right? Yes. I, I'm, I could see yes. Friday night at Homewood Field, like the far stands all red with Turk yeah. fans. Like if the Turk fans don't show up for this, I'll be, I'll be, a, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold them accountable next season. During, 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 because if you're a Turk fan, you really should come out and support the Whipsnakes on, on Friday night at Homewood and celebrate your championship, your undefeated season, and salute the guys who, who took home a title uh, a bunch of years earlier. I think it's going to be fascinating because that subplot, especially with our access, you know, that's stuff to talk to these guys about before the game. Hey, is that a, a point of conversation on the field, the trash talking between the Notre Dame guys and the Maryland guys, you know, or the, uh, is, is Matt Cavanaugh going to be chirping at those guys? Ah, you know, my brothers, if they had a shot at you guys, <laughs> you know, the, there may not be a title. Like I, I want to see that dynamic play out on the field. Cause I can tell you this, remember when we were in Albany that first week, we went to Redwoods practice, you know, talking to Hallenbeck and Garnsey and, and, and all those Notre Dame guys, it was top of the mind for all those guys. And it will be top of the mind when they see a team, with what, 11, 12 Maryland alums? Yeah, 10, 10 or 11 are in the lineup. I think the Redwoods have about eight Notre Dame guys, Sergio Perkovic, obviously Kavanaugh, Garnsey, the defense, you know, Arden Cohen, Garrett Apple, Eddie Glazner, and the shorties, Ryan Hallenbeck and Jack Neer. I mean, it, this, this is a classic. To Redwoods with a little Duke and, and, and Jules out of Rutgers. Yep. And it's, it's really uh, the Whipsnakes. I, and I, again, I hope they wear their red jerseys in Baltimore on Homewood Field and, <laughs> and, and their fans. Bring the flag. Bring the flag. We need uh, the bagpiper. The bagpiper needs to be there. The bagpiper should walk out the Redwoods and Maryland uh, whipsnakes should come out with the Maryland yeah. flag. That, that would, that would be cool. Uh, the whipsnakes are interesting because I, I look at them as like a Maryland 2.0 type deal. They're, they, you got this college, they're, they're run very much like a college team and they play a disciplined buttoned up style, a real clean style of offense and defense. Uh, it reminds me of college lacrosse guys are again, if they're six, seven, eight years within a program, it's, it's really a, a great example of team lacrosse. You know, the first couple of weeks, I didn't think they looked particularly. No, great. Um, I thought they should have been Owen too. quite frankly, they were outplayed that first game against uh, the chaos and, you know, the chaos just didn't have their personnel and it caught up to them in the second half and the whips were able to chip away, chip away, chip away. And then eventually come back, you know, the water dogs had them on the ropes too. And then injuries kind of piled up. You lose your face-off guy withers that, that turned the game. They couldn't win a face-off. Um, they went away a little bit from Michael Sowers and then they end up winning that game in overtime, but they're going to get Zed Williams back here. 
you know, uh, what, does he come back this week or the week after? Uh, he could come back this week. We're, we're waiting so, on, we'll get, we'll get rosters tonight. You know, you, you get said Williams back and, and you're three and oh, yeah, that's a, that's a game changer. You know, that is a game changer. So they were able to, you know, heart of a champion, whatever you want to say, that intangible quality, you know, they were able to find ways to win without their best effort the first couple of weeks. I thought they looked better this past week. And then, um, you know, you get a guy like Zed back, who is as prolific of a player as there is in this league. You pair him with Rambo, all of a sudden that offense becomes exponentially harder to defend. Um, yeah, to me, the whips aren't going anywhere. They're going to factor into the end game at the end of the day. Yeah, archers are rolling. Grant Amon did not play again last week. I, I would expect to see him this week, but uh, Tommy Schreiber is is oh. he's a, he is as good as a, an offensive midfielder at, that as I have ever seen in each. And this is dating back to when I played and now covering the game for many years. I've never seen a midfielder who can pass the way he does. Uh, the guy, the, he, it's just truly amazing. And I wish more fans would understand what they're watching. Uh, the, the best by far of his generation at what he does. Yeah, like a point forward in a lot of ways in basketball where you know, he can orchestrate um, from up top. He finds the open guys. He's got the speed. He's got the athleticism. Watching the Archers play offense, Q, um, you know, it reminded me a lot, uh, to be honest with you, of, of what we saw champ weekend and this season from Maryland, the way they spun the ball, crisp ball movement, um, always making the extra pass. The open guy was there. You know, Will Manny um, has put together one of the great pro careers that we've seen. Um, kind of reminded me, and it's funny because they don't have Grant Amen yet, but of the Grant Amen teams at Penn State where, you know, again, you set it to music and they just spin the ball. So, uh, again, each team does it a little differently, but, uh, you know, the water dogs, it's, it's ball dominant with Michael Sowers. The archers, it's ball movement and, and head on a swivel. And, and they get that defense, you know, out of rhythm, out of shape pretty quickly. Yeah, archers are going to score. I like your D-middies as well. Mark McNeil, Latrell Harris, and, and Dominique Alexander, I got to spend some time with. Uh, super impressive. Chrome is also having a, a big year, big turnaround. They won wow. two games last year. That, I think they went 3-0 right now. Nick Turn, Brendan Nick Turn is a star. Logan Wisnowskis has done better, much better than I thought he would. Uh, his The depth of his skill set is continues to amaze me, you know. We labeled him as like a left-handed wing shooter a couple of years ago. And, and now here he is making all, all sorts of plays. But but the Chrome defense, JT Giles Harris, Mike Manley, Nick Grill with some Jesse Bernhardt. Uh, that's the Chrome is is built built to win deep deep into the summer, I think. With Wisnowskis, I've always likened him as the Rafa Nadal of lacrosse, where if you remember what Nadal was. When he first started on the tour, he was a specialist. He was your equivalent of your lefty wing finisher. He was a clay court guy. And if you looked at the clay court champions pre-Nadal and the Sam from Sagasi era, you know, bunch of guys who never won on any other surface. You know, they were one trick ponies. They disappeared after the French Open. You know, they, they could win on clay. You put them on grass. You put them on hard courts. They were nobody. And Nadal was this clay court specialist. And then he evolved his game to the point where not only could he compete with a Federer on grass, he could beat a Federer on grass to the point where not only could he win Wimbledon's, he could win us opens and he could win Australian opens. And now he's got more majors than anybody else. And Wisnowskis was that guy. I mean, almost like a compiler 
but he added something to his skill set every season that he got to Maryland. You know, okay, wing finisher, and I'm going to add a little bit of dodging. It wasn't always the fastest guy, but the anticipation, the IQ. I thought he was criminally underrated as a feeder throughout his career. It was, it was a great passer. Um, and again, in pro lacrosse queue, I'm noticing – you know, what, what makes the Atlas so successful? Because you have two guys in gray and T who can do a little bit of everything. You want that attack guy who's more than a one-trick pony. Doesn't have to be ball dominant. You can put the ball on his cross. He can dodge. He can feed. He can cut. He can play off ball. And to me, Wisnowskis has gone from, again, this specialist to now a man of all seasons and one of the more complete players. And, and with Nick Turn, I couldn't agree with you more. I, you know, I don't know what the deployment situation is going to be with him in the future. But this dude has a chance to be a special, special talent, a guy who can anchor, you know, multiple Team USA um, teams uh, on on the world stage. Yeah, I couldn't be more impressed. Chrome play on Saturday night, 6 o'clock against the Cannons. at ESPN+. Plus. You mentioned tennis. Uh, I was surfing around ESPN+, and I watched the documentary on Martina Navratilova and Chrissy Everett. I don't know if you've seen that one, but I thought it was just such a fascinating profile about how two rivals – on the exterior, you growing up, you'd watch them play in every major championship and you thought they were they were cast as as adversaries. And the reality was behind the scenes, they were actually quite friendly and since have become uh, extremely good friends. It's, it's ironic in sports how your greatest rivals often become your best friends after after it's all said and done. Yeah, because you realize how much you have in common. Right. You realize that what you're driven by is the same thing that drives them. Um, and it's, oh, you do that too. Yeah, you do that. I train this way. I train this way too. Oh, you read that book on leadership and, and focus. I read that book on leadership and focus too. Like it all kind of, it all kind of intersects and you're, you're thinking we're, we're trying to achieve, we're trying to achieve the same thing. Um, and that's why we're so competitive, but you know, those lines intersect at a lot of different points. Yeah. And, and the shared experiences, you know, for, for 15 years, there are on the same travel schedule, right. eating, you know, the exact same schedule, uh, same places. Regimen, diet, all that stuff. All that stuff. Uh, question, Jake Marsh is calling the games this, uh, this weekend with me a, a little bit. What should I know about Jake? Yeah, I don't really know Jake a whole lot. Um, I, I, I hear great things. I hear he's, you know, he's going to be a star. So uh, I'm excited to watch. Um, he's got a great following, which I think will help our, our ratings. Um, and from everything the PLL guys have told me and everything I've seen, um, you know, he's going to be a star in this business. He's going to be, you know, one of the next guys coming up in this sport and, and in this industry on the play-by-play rank. So uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to see him get a crack at, at the PLL again. I'm sure his Twitter following will love my commentary. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll know, you'll know pretty quickly if they do, right? What do you got coming up in East in terms of uh, the Panthers? Well, yeah, I'm supposed to be at, um, you know, a mini camp right now, but I've got COVID. So until this uh, COVID passes, I got a couple more days. Hopefully I can get out Wednesday, Thursday. And then um, after that, we sort of shut it down for a little while. And then training camp starts the end of July. So got a little bit of vacation coming up. Um, going to Montana on Friday, as long as I can get a positive test before then. Uh, hopefully Yellowstone is, uh, opened up or partly opened up and then, uh, going to Mexico, uh, with some friends early July for, uh, a 40th birthday celebration. So awesome. 
Oh, that's that that that's super cool. And then training camp starts in what early August or late July? Late July, late July, and then we'll run through early August. So we'll be. Uh, I think our first preseason game will be. Uh, we're, we're playing Washington. What are they? Uh, the Commanders now. So yeah, I, last you, you see, uh, Luke Keekley, I, I I thought was at the uh, PLL games. Is that correct? Or you talked to him about the, those games? Yeah, so it's funny. I saw Luke Keekley in the office um, last week, uh, the, the day before I tested positive for COVID, and we spent about 15 minutes talking about lacrosse. Um, it was interesting because we ran the Connor Busick clip championship yeah. weekend where he gets the sack. So Luke was telling me that position in their uh, defense, he was like, you basically just – we're able to wind the guy up and go. And all he were able to do is make plays in the backfield. He said it was uh, the guy before him did it. Luke did it. Busick did it. But uh, he had nothing but great things to say about Connor Busick and uh, the type of player that he was, the type of coach that he was. Luke, for, for from his end, said, hey, I, I was a, a long stick midfielder, and I would just go around the field just destroying guys. <laughs> so we're going to have uh, – I'm going to, the, the goal is at some point um, we're going to have Luke do a little lacrosse content uh, that maybe we can use in the spring. I'd love to, to, to hear his take on Connor and, and, and then to, to see him with a stick uh, running around and, and uh, you know, maybe put him in the linebacker spot with a stick and have him pursue the quarterback. Yeah. I'm telling, well, you know, you, you see the, uh, the quarterback gurus now when they're teaching the QBs, like the hold up tennis rackets and stuff to try to distract them, you know, to give them the, the, the passing window. So maybe we can figure something out where we can uh, incorporate a little lacrosse into football. That'd be fun. Any, uh, and, and last thing, any, anything you've been watching lately that you recommend to the fans? You know, I just finished severance on Apple TV. A lot of people told me to stick with that uh, slow burn. Very creepy, psychological type of thriller. Uh, really enjoyed that. The other one that I've really enjoyed, if you haven't seen it, it's also on Apple TV, Tehran. Um, Homeland, but better. Uh, it's spy versus spy, and it's this Mossad agent who is trapped in Iran. Uh, so they just finished season two. So I'm about three or four episodes into the second season, but Tehran is terrific. And then, um, you know, I like the Star Wars, so I'm on the Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, so I'm caught up with that one. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. You, you see Darth Vader, I guess, in his, uh, in his prime, you know, terrorizing the Jedi. <laughs> I'm uh, about a third of the way through the Arthur Ashe book that you were kind enough to, uh, to give me. How do you like it? good it's good it's fascinating you know i love those those type of biographies about sports figures because they become historical timepieces you know that era i was too young to really you know to understand that era and what he was dealing with and what it was like for him to grow up in virginia and and be an african-american tennis player and uh so it's fascinating because it it brings me back in time uh in a lot of ways yeah and i told you this too i said the uh i read that book couple of years after my mom passed away and I had no idea what I was going to get into. And so, you know, the story that's written there, it's Ash's memoir and he's telling it to Arnold Rampersand as he's dying of AIDS and the final chapter, and you'll get there, the final chapter, which I, I remember when I read it for the first time, I was sobbing because the final chapter is addressed to his daughter and it's anybody who's ever lost a parent. If you're, you're listening to this, you're watching this, you're listening, 
and you've lost a parent, um, pick up the book and you know, every year when that day comes, read the final chapter because he is speaking to her um, from beyond the grave, but almost as if he's still there. And the words resonate and resonated with me so profoundly that it was like, man, you know, his daughter is going to have this for the rest of her life. And she can read this, you know, whenever she's thinking of him and that message will always be there. And it's, it's, it's just this, it's this powerful message. And I've, I've, I've passed that along to a lot of, a lot of people who have who've lost a loved one, who've lost a parent, um, just because, and I don't want to give away any of the message. Um, but again, it's, it's an old, that last chapter is an open letter from Ash to his daughter, who's only six years old at the time. Yeah. And he's basically telling her all the things that you'll encounter in life and all the things that'll come your way. Um, but there's this uplifting message at the end that, that I think that just stays with you. And I remember a few years ago when it was the 20th anniversary of my mom's passing, you know, we had the whole family together and we, we read it out loud and uh, it was difficult for all of us, but there were a lot of hugs at the end and a lot of emotion at the end, because again, that message, even though it was coming from Arthur Ashe, it was coming from a parent. Um, and, and again, the thesis at the end of the day was, you know, it doesn't matter where I am or where you go, I will always love you. Anish, thanks you for your time. Uh, get healthy, enjoy your travels. We'll talk later this summer. Uh, stay out of trouble. Yeah, you as well. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. 